Here we are in 2020 AD. Not many people call it AD. Now they have some CE, common era thing. But it's 2020 AD. What does AD mean? Anno Domini. I think it's possibly the only Latin I know, being rather uneducated. But what does Anno Domini mean? It means the year of the Lord. This is the 2020th year of Jesus being Lord. Very roughly speaking, I know they didn't get the year quite right and they've tried to date it from his birth and they probably ought to from his resurrection. But roughly speaking, it's the 2020th year of Jesus being Lord. Well, you might say, wasn't Jesus Lord before 2020 years ago? No. No. Not in the full sense the Bible means. But Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord this year. What does that mean for you? What does that mean for us as a church? Well, let's find out now by turning to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28. And verses 18 to 20. Page numbers on the notice sheet if that helps you. We're going to be looking at verses 18 to 20, but... We'll read from verse 16 now. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. We're going to take verses 18 to 20. There's so much in these verses, we're going to get nowhere near covering it all. We're going to spend most of the time on the great claim in verse 18. And then sometime on the great command in verse 19... And then we will have almost run out of time. We can hopefully slip in a little bit about the great comfort in verse 20. So most of our time on the great claim in verse 18. Now, how do you think of Jesus? What do you think of him as being like? How do you picture Jesus? You might think of those pictures of Jesus hanging on a cross, pale and blood-stained and looking weak might think of him like that. Or you might think of Jesus as your personal saviour. Now that's a good phrase, but I have to admit, when people say Jesus as your personal saviour, it, it does sound to me a bit like something a woman might keep in her handbag. Bring out a personal saviour when you need some personal help, or a mascot on your desk or on a car dashboard. Or you might think of Jesus as an idea, Christ as a principle, or a power, maybe representing love or grace, or sacrifice. And none of those ways of thinking of Jesus is good enough. They've all got some truth in them, but if you stop with them, if you just stop there, you'll have got a bit of truth, but you'll be wrong. Because Jesus is a man, a real man, with all authority in heaven and on earth. Verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given 
to me. If you know that the Bible teaches the Trinity, Father, Son, and God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, you might think this verse is unremarkable. Of course God the Son has all authority in heaven and earth. He's God. If you have heard of the Trinity but misunderstood it or just only know a tiny bit, maybe you think of three gods, then you might think this verse is impossible. If Jesus is God, how can he be given all authority in heaven and on earth? How can he have anything given to him? He's got it all, he's God. But the Trinity is not three gods. The Trinity is three persons who relate to each other and who have different roles and different ways they relate to each other. And one of those persons, God the Son, became a man. And he had a mother who gave birth to him, a wriggling, screaming baby. Uh, Away in a manger is not right, and little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. I'm sure he cried a lot. And when he was eight days old, they gave him a name, Yeshua. In English, we say Jesus. He was a, a real person, with, named by his parents. And as he grew up, he looked like a Middle Eastern Jew, because he was a Middle Eastern Jew. He'd inherited DNA from a woman called Mary, and she'd inherited it from her parents, and so on. Human. And he grew to a height, and a build, and a weight, and a personality that were that strange mixture we all have of nature and nurture. He was a real man. And in verse 18, it's this real man, Jesus. He's died and risen, but he's still real man. He's returning to heaven, but he's still real man. Now it's 2020, but he's still real man. We sang at the beginning, he's still got wounds in his hands. And it's this real man who's given all authority in heaven and on earth. Now, have you thought about this? Why is it Jesus who's given all authority? Why not the angel Gabriel? He's a phenomenal being who would, uh, we'd all fall down like dead if he appeared here now. Why not the Holy Spirit? Holy Spirit is God, the Holy Spirit. Why is he not given all authority? Why Jesus? And why now? Why do these words come at the end of Matthew's Gospel? The answer is because he and only he and only then he is the man who's died and risen again. He's the one man who's obeyed God perfectly and obeyed all the way to death, even death on a cross. And so God the Father is here rewarding him for his perfect obedience. You can read that in Philippians chapter 2. But it's not just about Jesus being rewarded. He's died for his people. I said when he was eight days old, they named him, and they named him Jesus, and his parents named him, but they didn't choose the name. God chose the name. And he was called that name because, it says, he would save his people from their sins. And by the time of Matthew 28, he's done everything needed to save his people from their sins. And so he's made the one with all authority so he can send the Holy Spirit and spread his good news and bring people under his saving rule. And this isn't just about working out a system or a plan. It's about love. God who is love. It's so suitable, this. It all fits together so well. God who is love 
He has made, or he has given Jesus, the one who so loved us, he died for us. He's given him all authority in heaven and on earth so that people all around the world can experience his love. So, Christian brothers and sisters, those here who are trusting in the Lord Jesus, you can know this for definite. The one who has all authority, the one who rules, is the one who loved you. And he died for you. He gave himself for you. And he knows you. And he will make sure you are safely brought to be with him. That's who this is talking about in verse 18. That's why he is the one and no one else who's given all authority. And that's why he's given it now, after he's died to purchase his people and he's risen to become the king. Now, what has Jesus been given in verse 18? What has he been given? Well, it says he's been given all authority. All authority on earth. In those days, 2,000 years ago, when Jesus walked on the streets of Israel, he often called himself the Son of Man. It seemed to be his favourite name for himself, Son of Man. And you might think, this is just saying he's a real man with flesh and blood. Well, it was saying that, but it wasn't just saying that. It's also saying he's the fulfilment of a prophecy. I'll read it to you now. You can turn to it if you want. It's Daniel chapter 7, or you could just listen because I'm only going to read two verses. Daniel chapter 7 is a prophecy. And Daniel, he had this vision, and he says, In my vision, this is Daniel 7 verse 13, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven, He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory and sovereign power. All peoples, nations and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Jesus has all through his life called himself the Son of Man. And now in Matthew 28, now he's risen, he's still man, he hasn't become something else, he's still a man, and he's saying, I am that son of man prophesied in Daniel chapter 7. He's saying, I am going to rule the world. Because that's what was prophesied in Daniel 7. He's saying, all ethnic groups and nations and people of every language will worship me. Now think about that. There was this, it tells us that there was a mountain near Galilee. So there's a real mountain, grassy, rocky mountain, and there's these disciples go, and they see a real man, five foot or so, I presume, of Middle Eastern Jewish man, ex-carpenter, and he's claiming the peoples of all the world are going to worship me. What a claim. But then think of today. I mean actually today, the 5th of January 2020. What was happening in Kenya four hours ago? Well, in Kenya four hours ago, people were worshipping Jesus. What will happen in Brazil in three hours' time, if I've got the clocks right? People will be worshipping Jesus. 
This ex-carpenter, five foot or so of flesh and blood, makes this claim. And today, this very day, it's happening. People of every nation are worshipping him. Jesus is here also saying, I'm the king you read about in Psalm 72. Do you remember Psalm 72, which Marie read to us earlier? I hope you took notice of the description of a king. What was the description? A king who will rule to the ends of the earth. A king all nations will be blessed through. A king all nations will call blessed. Jesus is saying, I'm that king of Psalm 72. He's saying, here's some words from Psalm 72, I will deliver the needy who cry out, the afflicted who have no one to help. What's been happening for the last 2,000 years? People have been crying out to Jesus as Lord and he's been hearing them. They've been finding his love and care. What's been happening for the past 2,000 years? People have been crying out to the Lord Jesus and they've been finding his forgiveness. For the last 2,000 years there have been people every month being taken up to be with Jesus when they die. For the last 2,000 years, there have been people calling him blessed and finding blessing in him. He's given all authority on earth. What else has Jesus been given? Have a look at verse 18. He's been given all authority in heaven. Now that one's a bit more difficult to understand. What does it mean to have all authority in heaven? Well, the Bible ends with a mysterious book, Revelation. And it's a book that gives strange pictures of the history of the world, from Jesus' resurrection to his return. And near the start is that chapter we read at at the start this morning. A chapter that tells us Jesus is the only one who can put God's plan into practice, who can make God's plan for history actually happen. He has power in heaven. And that book of Revelation goes on to picture all the troubles we get in this world. Jesus' ruling doesn't make it trouble-free. And it talks about battles and troubles and sufferings and struggles. And it says, behind the scenes are spiritual powers battling away. But it shows Jesus as the power above them. There's nothing above him. There's nothing that outranks him. There's no power outside his control. There's no president or pressure group. There's no principle or earthly power or spiritual power. There's none of the big forces or movements of the world that are outside his control. I think us Christians sometimes sound a bit desperate because we really don't live as if this is true. So we think to ourselves things like, If only one of the big leaders of the world were a real Christian. Just imagine if the President of the USA or the Prime Minister of the UK were a true Christian living for God's glory. Wonderful. Or, well, imagine this, if Jeff Bezos was a real Christian and used his $150 billion for God's glory and to promote God's kingdom. Wouldn't that be great? But we don't need to clutch at straws like that. What's $150 billion to Jesus? What's the President of the USA compared with Jesus? He outranks them all. He has all authority in heaven and on earth. 
Now, I suspect there might be some people here to whom this just sounds like a load of talk. Oh, yeah, this is just Christians talking, big talk. But this isn't just a theory about a, about a power or an idea of something that rules. This is Jesus, the man who died exactly as he said he would die, who rose exactly as he said he would rise, who had it verified by evidence, and who is now, despite all the opposition, worshipped by people all around the world. He's someone whose claims you must take seriously. That great claim has stood the test of time. And so that leads us to the great command. We've had the great claim, and that is the driving force behind next, the great command in verse 19. Because he has all authority, because Jesus is all that we've just heard, what should happen? What should happen? Well, Daniel 7 says, he all should worship him. Revelation 5 says he is worthy of everyone's praise. Jesus says it this way, verse 19, because of that, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Everyone should be his disciple. Now, what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? Well, I think it includes these things. Bow to him as the majestic king. Listen to him as the teacher king. Follow him as the shepherd king. And obey him as the ruling king. I think that gives you a summary of what it is to be a disciple. Bow to him as the majestic king. Listen to him, the teacher king. Follow him, the shepherd king. And obey him as the ruling king. And Jesus says here, you should do that. Someone here might be an unbeliever. You don't believe in this Jesus. Well, in in this sense, it doesn't make any difference. You still should do that because he's the king. You should do that. The people in your road should. The people in your family should. The people in your workplace should. The people of Loughborough should. The people who've hardly heard of Jesus in Afghanistan and Turkmenistan and so many countries of the world should. Because Jesus has all authority. He has the right that everyone should be his disciple. And because Jesus has all authority, all people are to be taught to do what? Verse 20. There's an interesting number of alls in this phrase. He has all authority, so all people in all nations are to obey all things he's commanded. You see, the job of the church is not just giving people an insurance policy against hell. It's not just, let's get as many people baptised as we can. It's not just, let's grow a bigger church and get people into church. It's teaching people to obey him. Not making people who are just the same as everyone else, but forgiven. I looked at churches' websites at Christmas time, and my heart sank because I've seen this so many times on churches' websites. It said, we're a group of people who are just the same as everyone else, but forgiven. That's not what Jesus asked for. I should say, demanded. 
He demanded people who obey everything he commanded. Not just people who have good intentions, but people who obey him. Not just people who are nice and do vaguely the right thing, but people who obey everything he commanded. Oh, some say, no, no, that's Old Testament. Christianity's about relationship, not rules. Well, who's your relationship with? Is it with Jesus who said, obey everything I commanded? Now, how is this going to happen? How is Jesus going to have disciples everywhere? How's he going to be worshipped by people from every language group? Verse 19, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. This is in Matthew's Gospel, move on a few books and you get to the book of Acts. The book of Acts is this great description of how those first disciples did what Jesus said. And it tells about them in their ordinary lives speaking about Jesus. It tells about them being forced out of Jerusalem by persecution and everywhere they went, they spoke about Jesus, just in their ordinary lives, mixing with people, on their road and in their workplace. Uh, This past Christmas time, I noticed a newspaper article and it said, uh, what will you talk about over Christmas dinner? Have a think back. I hope you had a Christmas dinner. What did you talk about over Christmas dinner? This newspaper article said, over Christmas dinner you should talk about climate change. Did you? It doesn't sound the most fun Christmas dinner, does it? It said you should talk about climate change. Why? Well, then it went on to say, the article said, there aren't that many vegans around, but everyone knows about veganism. Why? Because vegans are always talking about it. In fact, there is a meme on the, do you say meme, meme? On the internet of a chap with his veins bubbling on, its, on his head and it says it's a vegan who hasn't yet had a chance to tell you he's a vegan and why he's a vegan. I'm not knocking vegans, by the way. In fact, I'm holding them up as an example. Isn't there a lesson to Christians there? In 2020, are you, are you going to speak to others about Jesus? And that's what they did in the book of Acts. Everywhere they went, they spoke about Jesus. Acts then tells you about the church sending people out, appointed by the church and sent out to new areas. They took very seriously the word go and the word nations. And so they went into nations. We call them missionaries. And so people appointed by the church travelled off to tell people about Jesus. Would you do that? You think, shock, horror, of course, not me. Well... It's still needed. Okay, there are thousands of people in Loughborough who need to hear the gospel, but the need is far, far greater in many other parts of the world. There's a whole band of countries across North Africa and the Middle East and Central Asia where hundreds of millions of people don't have any Christians they're in contact with and don't have a church near them and don't know who Jesus really is. Or you could just go across into Europe and the situation is far worse than here in the UK. There is still a need for missionaries. Hollywell has in the past sent missionaries. Will we in the next few years? Could it be you? That's something we all ought to think about, although for most the answer will be no, but for some it may be yes. So we better take it seriously. 
Acts then describes those first disciples starting churches in the areas they went to. And then putting a lot of effort into teaching the Christians to obey everything Jesus commanded. Notice the Great Commission or Great Command is it's not just about evangelism, it's about teaching people to obey. And it seems their way of doing this Great Command was people were sent into nations, they started up churches, and then they taught people to obey Jesus. And then those Christians through their lives displayed Jesus to the people they worked with and the people they mixed with in the shops and the people they lived with in their homes. Is that us? Will we, in 2020, be a church learning about how to obey Jesus better? And then will we live that way openly, unashamedly, in front of the unbelievers we know? Not keeping it hidden and secret and hoping they don't discover it or see quite what it means. Well, there are three ways this was put into practice in the book of Acts. People talking, people being sent, and then churches being founded where people were taught to live this openly. But I reckon there's a difficulty with all of this. I remember years ago going to a conference for evangelists. And I came away buzzing with motivation to speak for Jesus. I thought, right, I'm going to do this straight away. And the next week I went to work and that conference of evangelists and my workplace seemed millions of miles apart. And all of my motivation just sort of seeped out rather quickly. At the conference I was full of motivation. I'll speak for Jesus. And at work, oh, it's just too difficult. And people don't want to know. And I think I'm rather silly doing so. And... What difference can I make anyway? Maybe that's what you face this week. I hope you're motivated by telling, to tell people about Jesus. I hope you've seen something of how worthy he is to have everyone as disciple. But maybe at work it just seems too difficult. In the home you think, well, what difference can I make anyway? Well, think of a cliff on the coastline of Britain. Think of a towering, rocky cliff. What effect could one drop of water have on that cliff? None. Well, actually, it could. It could if that drop of water is one of millions in a wave. And if that wave is one of many that again and again crash against that cliff until they break it down and even push it back. And the kingdom of Jesus is advanced like those waves against the cliff. Millions of tiny actions, millions of little words by little obscure Christians in an obscure house, in an ordinary job, in an easily overlooked children's activity at church. Millions of little words by little Christians, but over time all adding up to be like the waves against the cliff again and again, until people's rock-like hearts are broken open to turn to Jesus. Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. It's grand, but it's spread by the little actions of little us. And one of the reasons for that is because we don't do it alone. So thirdly, we have the great comfort the great comfort in verse 20. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, I haven't left enough time to talk about this properly 
But, but we mustn't skip over it completely. It's easy to say words that are just words, just a nice phrase. Can you think of any that you ever say? Ever say, see you later to someone you'd never expect to see again? I found myself doing that. Did, what about, we wish you a Merry Christmas? Well, that was a phrase said a lot last month. and Probably most of the time it didn't mean that much. But verse 20 is not that. It's not a meaningless phrase. Jesus is telling us where the power comes from for making disciples. It comes from him being with us. A lot of the time we act as if it, as if it doesn't. A lot of the time we act as if the power doesn't come from him being with us. Oh no, we act as if it comes from a church being big and popular. They'll grow those little weak churches full of five old people. No, they've got no chance. It comes from people having great ideas. It comes from us and our abilities. That's how we act. But no, it comes from Jesus being with us. The people who have most effectively made disciples for Jesus have been weak people who have relied on him being with them. That is another of the great lessons of the book of Acts. Read it and you'll find it's full of weak people relying on Jesus being with them. Or to bring it nearer to our time, probably the greatest growth of the church in the last half a century has been in China. And although it mainly happened after the missionaries had been kicked out, a lot of the preparation was done by missionaries. And one who led the way was a missionary called Hudson Taylor. And Hudson Taylor said this. He said, All God's giants have been weak people who did great things for God because they reckoned on his being with them. Did you get that? That's the key to power. That must be our comfort. That must be what keeps us going. I'll tell you again, he said, all God's giants have been weak people who did great things for God because they reckoned on his being with them. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. We've got a great Lord and Saviour to be made known. We've got good news to tell. We are heralds of the King. What a privilege, what an honour to be a herald of this King. And he'll equip us to do it. It's 2020 AD, the year of our Lord. So will it be a year when we, as a church, make more disciples? whom we teach to obey everything Jesus commanded. Will it be a year when you obey him and make him known?